For once, no cute stories, just diving right in, diving right in. There might be a cute little story later. But we're, we're diving right into a place, and in, uh, the Jewish people have been released. This is where we're starting, where we're picking up. The Jewish people have been released from captivity, and they are, have returned from Babylon to Jerusalem. And they have found that the wall that offered them protection has been destroyed, and it has been reduced to rubble. Rubble. <laughs> Still, the prophet Nehemiah said, you know, let's do something about this. Let's get to work on this and make it happen. And he felt that burden, the call to rebuild that wall. And he's the one who's leading the effort to make that happen. Now, if you'll recall, if you were here last week, we talked about some of the opposition that came to Nehemiah from outside, a particular chap called Sanballat. And I'm not going to lie, I think that's a fun name to say, Sanballat. It sounds, yeah. Not, not, not even the point. But anyway, Sanballat and a couple of his guys are giving Nehemiah grief and it's trouble. Um, but chapter 5 also shows opposition. But this is a different kind of opposition. It's opposition not from outside the walls, but inside the walls. And it doesn't look like the type of pushing back opposition that Sanballat had with his cronies. You know, I kind of got the good fellas picture, you know, with those guys. That's not what's happening inside the walls. It's a different type of struggle. And it's not unusual for a group to have to deal with opposition from outside and then turn right back around and deal with opposition from within. It's very common. Theologian Warren Wearsby said this, when the enemy fails in his attacks from the outside, he then begins to attack from within. And one of his favorite weapons is selfishness. Mm. Selfishness, selfishness. If he can get us thinking only about ourselves and what we want, then he will win the victory before we even realize that he is at work. Selfishness, try that again. Selfishness means putting myself at the center of everything and insisting on getting what I want when I want it. It means exploiting others so I can be happy and taking advantage of them just so I can have my own way. It's not only wanting my own way, but expecting everyone else to want my way too. You're welcome for the heavy start. (laughs) But this, this is the place we find ourselves when we peek in on what's going on with the Israelites and the Jewish people in the middle of this plan to rebuild this grand wall. The people of Israel were freed from exile through the efforts of the prophet Ezra. Love that name. And in the book of Ezra, chapter 1, we learn that King Cyrus ordered the treasures that were taken originally when the people were pulled into exile. He ordered all of that treasure be returned. 5,400 pieces of gold and silver were sent back with the Israelites to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the wall and the temple, all all of the rebuilding that was being done. They sent this treasure back. So what in the world has happened from the time that Ezra started this to the time that Nehemiah is building the wall because something has gone terribly wrong as we step in to look at this story. 
in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 5 of Nehemiah, we learn that there has been a major outcry from the people. Some people don't have enough food to feed their families. Other people are mortgaging their vineyards, their homes, all of the things they have because there's a famine. Still others are having to borrow money to pay the king's taxes. Verse 5 says this, Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are just as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and our daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. The following verse gives us Nehemiah's response. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. Nehemiah is serving as governor of this region. He loves God, he loves his people, and he loves the law. He learns that they are charging, the people are charging one another interest, which they are not supposed to do. They were allowed to charge outsiders' interest, but not to their brothers and sisters. That was not allowed. And he's angry. He's got his righteous indignation on, and he is going with it. And the first thing that we need to notice in this is that Nehemiah made space to hear the frustrations of those around him who are hurting. In most cultures, someone of importance may just send a lackey out to make it look like there is care and concern. Or someone in his position may be so blinded by his own interests he wouldn't even pretend to care, kind of like this guy. Okay, show him in. Uh, afternoon, Your Highness. I'm here because I received a summons to... Hey, there he is, my main village man. Um, Pacha. Uh, anyway, I, I got this summons. Pacha. That's right, you are just the man I wanted to see. I am? Word on the street is you can fix my problem. You can fix my problem, can't you? Sure, I'll do what I can. Good, good, that's just what I wanted to hear. Are you aware of just how important your village is to the Empire? Well, I know we grow the crops that you use here at the palace. We also herd the llamas that you... My village? Oh, yeah. You got a pretty sweet little setup there on top of that hill, don't ya? <laughs> yeah, my family has lived on that hilltop for the last six generations. Uh-huh. So tell me, where do you find you get the most sun? Oh, I'd say just on the other side of those trees. When the sun hits that ridge just right, these hills sing. Well, that settles it. Really? Yep, problem solved. Thanks for coming. That's it? That's all you wanted me for? I just needed an insider's opinion before I okayed this spot for my pool. Uh, your pool? Welcome to Cusco-topia, my ultimate summer getaway, complete with water slide. What? Isn't it great? It's my birthday gift to me. <laughs> I'm so happy. Uh, 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 I don't understand how this could happen. Well, let me clear it up for you. At my birthday celebration tomorrow, I give the word, and your town will be destroyed to make way for this. <laughs> Do, 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 do. 
So if I were you, I'd pick up some change of address forms on the way home. But, but, um, where will we live? Hmm. Don't know, don't care. How's that? Oh, but wait, you can't... I couldn't resist. I love that movie. And as I thought about the type of ruler that Nehemiah is, aren't we thankful he was not like Cusco? But we see it, don't we? That's what people have come to expect in their rulers, especially in a time like this where the little people truly had no voice. No voice. But Nehemiah did take the space, did take the time to listen to those around him who were hurting and being served unjustly within the city. Like Nehemiah, we need to listen to those in need around us. So here's a question for today. Do you know anybody who's in need? In some way? Is everyone around you just like you? I'm not trying to be snarky. <laughs> I'm saying, have we, do we examine? Do we have opportunity to rub elbows with people who are in a different socioeconomic class than we are? Do we hang out with people who are in any way different from us, a different shade of skin, a different anything? Or are we just alike? Do we flock together because we're alike? I'm asking a legitimate question because all of us are called to reach out. All of us are called to listen. All of us are called to care. So in the vineyard, we have that saying, everybody gets to play. And that sounds really great when you're talking about softball signups. Children's ministry, eh. serving the poor. The flip coin of everyone gets to play is we need everyone doing the things, doing the stuff, praying for people, loving lost people, loving the poor, serving. Everyone gets to play and everyone is needed. It is not, it is not the job of the pastoral team here to do it all. And not just because we don't want to do the work. When we do it together, much, much more gets done. Much, much more gets done. So as, as we are looking at our lives, introspecting, are we seeking? Are we asking God, show me, show me a place where I can meet and get to know those who are in need? It's a great place to start. Ask Seek, knock, right? So, Nehemiah is angry. We've established that. And I've said it a couple times now, and I want to let that sink in for a second because I know sometimes when we come into churchy communities, you hear things like, oh, don't be angry. Or even maybe you were taught anger is a sin. Some people have been taught that. And I just want to say, anger is not a sin. <laughs> It's a real emotion that you were given by God, your Father, to be able to express the feelings that are inside of you. And a healthy expression of anger is necessary for us as human beings. Okay? So we witness Nehemiah get angry. 
and we learn from his behavior that he does not let that anger control him, but his anger does inform his actions. It moves him to act on behalf of those who are hurting. Let's read verses seven through nine of chapter five together. I pondered them, these charges, in my mind, and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. And Nehemiah continues this confrontation by telling the nobles and the officials they must give back the lands, the vineyards, the houses, and the interest they've been charging. And they listen to him. (laughs) They listen to him. They agree with him. They agree to do all he asks and make it right. Nehemiah spoke up for this group of people. He was moved in his anger to action. On his words at that time, because of the power that he held in that region, the influence that he had, things changed for the good of those who were suffering. And just like Nehemiah did, we must speak up for those in need. I'm not a governor, but there are times if I'm being sensitive to what is going on around me and who God is bringing into my path and in, along my way, I may have an opportunity to help. Are we open to those moments? Because once we make ourselves available to hear the needs of, around, of those around us, we are sometimes placed in perfect position to do something to affect the circumstances of another person. James 2 in the New Testament has a thing or two to say about our actions. Verse 14 starts with this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, there's no action? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm, and well-fed. But we do nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. While our Facebook statuses may tell a bit of what we believe and how we think the poor among us should be treated, what do our bank statements say? Mine says, I eat out too much. That's true. I'm being honest. How are you and I being moved to action on behalf of those in need? What are we actually doing? What are we doing? Church, (laughs) what are we doing? We may be small, but we are mighty people because we are empowered by the spirit of the living God to bring his kingdom into this town, into this place. That is our power. Not that we have that of ourselves, but we are filled with his 
presence and his power, and he goes with us. In addition to our voices, which are wonderful, don't get me wrong, where are our feet? Are they aligned to the call to feed the hungry, care for the poor? If you don't know where to begin, let us know. We'll hook you up with the mission. It's literally, people are coming to our doors, literally walking in our back door saying, I need help. It doesn't get much easier to get involved with the hurting and the poor in Rala than it is right here. You see, Nehemiah did more than speak out. In verses 14 through 19, we learn that in the 12 years that he serves as governor, he nor his brothers once ate the food that was allotted for the governor. And to you and me, that may not sound like a big deal. But this is an extravagant banquet, an outpouring of wealth, wine, fatted calves and goats and who knows what. A lot, a major sacrifice. And why? Why did he not do this? Because the demands were too heavy on the people. This guy for 12 years denies his own rights, the rights of his station, his office, for the blessing of someone else, many someone else's. Guys, I have been completely convicted writing this message. Please don't think I am just saying this to you. I am preaching to myself today. For 12 years, he denied himself what was rightfully his. His predecessors not only took the food, but 40 shekels of silver too. And he says, but out of reverence to God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work of the wall. Nehemiah gave up personally for the poor. Just like him, we're called to give up personally too. And it might hurt a little. And even if it doesn't hurt, maybe I should be a little less comfortable than I am. And this brings us back to that lovely topic of selfishness, because this is kind of the root of what's going on in this community. And in most communities where the poor's needs are not being met, we are a culture of self-interest, self-centeredness, self-sufficiency. Heck, we even take pictures called selfies, not bashing selfies. Self, 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 me, me, me. It runs so deep in our everyday lives that we don't even realize how much it affects us. But the idea that I've got to take care of number one, look out for myself or no one will, build my own empire, is so completely countercultural to the gospel of Jesus Christ, guys. It's not what we're called to. And we should take note. We have to examine. I can't take the log out of Marie's, or the speck out of Marie's eye until I've got the log out of my own. That means I have to look at how I'm doing what I'm doing, and I'm inviting you to do it too. 
not to measure stick against someone else, but looking at ourselves. What can I do? Our interests, our own selfish things keep us so busy navel-gazing that oftentimes we don't even know who's hurting around us. We don't know any hurting people because we're good. We got our pool up on the hillside like Cusco. Woo, party time. I'm guilty. I'm so guilty. And I bet some of you can identify with me. Today, we have an opportunity to present our selfishness. (laughs) Guess what? Jesus is not surprised that we're selfish. He is not shocked when I go, wow, I have really, really not thought about anybody other than me, my immediate family, and my friends in a really long time. He is not shocked. Youth pastor, co-pastor, it doesn't matter. He is not shocked when I say, oh crap, I've been really selfish. And he's not going to be shocked when you present your selfishness either. And the beauty of the cross is that we have this place, this place of bringing all of our junk over and over and over again. And he's not judging us. And the people next to you better not be either in this place. Because this is a place where we lay it all out and say, wow, I sucked at that this week. I sucked that. Jesus, take my selfishness. Help me pull my eyes out of my own gut and look at the eyes of someone who needs me to see them, whether it's poverty or hurt or anger, whatever someone else is going through. Guys, it's amazing what happens in our own hearts when we stop looking at our freaking selves. It's amazing what he does and how grateful, how thankful we become for our own forgiveness, our own grace. How thankful we become. And imagine that, a thankful church. Would that we were a thankful, generous people. We are. That's who he's created us to be. And that's our opportunity today is to not shy away from that discomfort that comes up when we start to think about how ugly our own sin is. Guys, it's a gift to be able to see it because it directs us right back to the foot of the cross. It directs us right back to the face of the one who says, let me love you. Let me clean it up. Let me make it all right. Let me cover you with grace and joy and peace. And let me just saturate you with my goodness, so you don't have to worry about your own. You don't have to be good enough. Just come to me and let me give you my goodness. That's the thing. That's the thing that can happen today. As we work with this, as we wrestle with this idea of loving those around us and examining our own selfishness, we're invited And as we begin to close our service today, that's what we get to do. We're going to be dismissed in just a few minutes, but I don't know about you, but I'm not done with this. I'm done speaking. You're welcome. (laughs) But I'm, I'm not done wrestling with what God is doing in my heart through Nehemiah's example. I'm not done. 
Will we open ourselves up to the voice of the Holy Spirit? Will we allow him to show us how to get our head out of our belly button? Will we let him in to make room for ideas that are uncomfortable and that conflict our comfortable American way? Will we say, Jesus, not my will, but yours be done? This is where we're transformed. These are the moments where we're literally, (laughs) I'm using that word correctly, we're literally being transformed. So good. Let's join them. Let's be the church. Let's be what this community needs, the hands and feet of Jesus. This beautiful mess, let's do it. Let's do it. Will you guys pray with me?